in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is no co-host. Patrick and I are working to get back together. Patrick, of course, has moved to San Antonio. He's recorded some shows. I'm recording some shows, and we'll eventually figure out from a technology point of view how to get back together. And before we start talking about a guest, audience, do me a favor. Leave a review. Just one. This show is like the redhead stepchild. Sorry, Paige. We don't get any reviews. The best way, the easiest way to support the show is leave us a review on iTunes. If you do it, I will give you a big shout out on the air. So we are actually sitting here with Julie Vennett and Kurt Wagner with Monarch Separators. How are y'all doing today? Doing great. Awesome. Thanks. And Julie, you and I met each other in a kind of a different way than we normally meet our guests, right? We did. So we met at a WordPress meetup group, which may sound a little dorky, but... There's good purpose behind it. Yeah. And so you're one of your mini hats that you wear is you do the social media marketing for your companies, right? That's right. And so you were at WordPress learning some tips and tricks, and I came and presented on how a podcast might be one of the tools you want in your marketing bag. Exactly. And I thought it was great. There's a little plug for you. Yeah, thank you. And so we just had a great time. We do that now and then. Please meet up groups all over the country. Don't reach out to me and ask me to come speak. I'm I'm busy. But if you're local and I can help you, then reach out to me because we have fun doing that. So we want to talk a little bit today about Monarch, right? What does Monarch do? Yeah, so Monarch has been in the produce water treatment business for over 30 years. Uh, Our core focus is that we have technologies that treat produce water. It basically removes the oil from sol- and solids from the water so that companies can either reuse it, discharge it, discharge of it safely, or in some way turn that into a product that can be uh, used for other operations. Yeah. So, Kurt, great explanation. We're going to go back and we'll ask you the definition of produce water in a minute, but I want to back up just a little bit further than that. How the heck did you get in this crazy industry? Yeah, so uh, my personal story is obviously one of uh, of Im- as an immigrant story. Actually, my father and mother immigrated here from Germany uh, in the fifties, and as a result of that, my father was a metallurgical and mechanical engineer that uh, had a knack for building really cool technologies. Uh, he met up with a very prominent man in, for oil, a Shell oil company named Gerald Clayton III, who had a concept. Uh, Shell at the time, you know, back in the 60s, uh, most of these oil companies had pretty substantial R&D departments. And Shell had, uh, of course, a lot of technologies that were mothballed. And he, he was, you know, basically said, hey, you've got these great technologies. I think we can utilize these in the market. And so he did. He decided to form a company called Monarch to exploit these technologies. And as a result, the challenge he had was, well, from an engineering perspective, he understood how the, the technology worked. It was a function of how do you exploit that technology in the market and create a product that people were willing to buy and use and, and really create better stuff on top of it. And that's where my father came in. What a great story. So uh, immigrant from Germany, mechanical engineer, saw that Shell is sitting on a bunch of patents and proprietary stuff that they weren't used for anything and going, hey, there's a market for this. Let's bring it to market. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then so you've been involved. And I didn't say we didn't. We just came back from lunch. We didn't talk about this at lunch. But so you've been involved with this forever? 
So I, I've been crawling around the industry for a long time. So I literally, uh, Monarch both Monarch was a vertically integrated company, or it became a vertically integrated, which basically means that we not only engineered, we designed, but we also built our own kit and then sold it to market. So I've been crawling around oil fill equipment and oil, you know, produce water treatment equipment since I, since I could walk or crawl at least. And uh, so, yeah, it goes back, uh, my career started, I guess, in, in the early 70s, and here I am, uh, officially late 80s, but uh, been a part of it a long time. So I didn't realize that Monarch actually engineered designed and produces its own equipment. Do y'all still do that? We still do. Yeah. So I officially took over the company in 2000, grew the business. And, uh, you know, we are at the time, you know, in, 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 in the early 2000s, we are probably, oh, 80, 90% export, 10% domestic. At the time, the sort of unconventionals in the United States weren't as developed. There was a business there, but the real business for us was international. And then uh, as projects and as produced water and water volume started increasing, projects became more complex. Complexity brings, obviously, additional resource needs, which ultimately means capital. And so I ultimately had to make, this, make a decision how to turn Monarch into what it could eventually be, which is a better company of, than what I originally created uh, or, or grew. And uh, it led me to uh, doing uh, a deal with Water Standard in 2016 that, in, in, you know, now is who we are as a company. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm just thinking about, so you've literally seen everything from probably blueprints, like before AutoCAD, right, to TIG welding, to, you know, sourcing materials, to watching your people get frustrated because some big oil and gas supply chain people are being un- ridiculous in whatever they want to price stuff. I mean, so you've seen it all from cradle to grave. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, I still can remember, if you remember what a blue line is. Uh, yeah, I'm that, I'm that old. Yeah. Yeah, I still remember the strong smells and the, uh, the, the, the the machines it took to create a simple blueprint. Now it's amazing. We we you know we have simple printers and simple means to produce drawings. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, and if our audience doesn't know what we're talking about, literally, and I know you think we're crazy. It was a special paper on special tables. It was huge. And if you think of like about the blue chalk that you see the um, masons pop a line with when they're building brick walls, it was sort of like that. I mean, it wasn't, but it was that sort of color and smell. Yeah, it yeah. was. It's you know, it was a sepia basically, right? And uh, it used, I think, it was ammonia to uh, to create a chemical process to actually turn a white piece of paper into a what became a blue line, a blue, right? Yeah. Blue line drawing. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this is perfect. You did this without uh, any coaching. You circled us back around. So I want to come back around. You talked about produce water. What is produce water? If the audience doesn't know. Yeah, so produced water is basically water. So when oil and gas companies drill as part of their, their process, there is a water that's, that develops in the well over time. And uh, the, when the well starts producing over time, or it's, over its many years of producing oil, it starts to produce more and more water. And that water that comes out actually is, is effectively produced water. Yeah, and a lot of people may not know this, but when you, produ- when you drill a well, you don't even though you may be drilling for gas or drilling for oil, you get everything out the, the well bore. You get water, sand, oil, gas. And a lot of times, sometimes it's actually a water well. It's more water comes out of it than oil, you know? And That's so exactly right. y'all are the ones that come in and help the operators deal with that produced water. Because that produced water naturally is not good for the surface environment, right? It has salts in it. Sometimes there's some radiation in there. That's right? correct. Yep. Yeah. Not all produced water is the same. Obviously, it depends where you're what you're dealing with. But in general... The water needs to be treated because it is uh, it is a uh, it does have constituents in it that could do damage to the environment, and that's where technology and our company comes in to help companies realize the potential for either meeting those discharge regulations or reusing that to lower their costs and to 
create a product that naturally may be disposed of, but actually use it as a resource. Yeah, and and so the, just so the audience knows, when that water comes out that produce water, it's not safe for the surface environment, but it's totally natural. That is how the water comes out the ground. The salts and the radiation are there. Uh, so I guess we want to be real careful here because sometimes we get that people get confused with that and the actual fracking process, when, and that's where we in, purposely inject water and sand and chemicals into the ground. This is produced water that comes out naturally from the well. Now, here's what I think is incredible. Are y'all actually able to get all that stuff out? Well, the devil's definitely in the details. Yeah. I think how I would answer that is uh, we can meet the requirements that most, I mean, the technology exists to treat water to acceptable levels. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just a matter of companies want to pay for it, if it fits their business model, right? But I actually saw, and I cannot remember where I read this, but it was um, one of the bigger independent operators, I've been Oxy, we're talking about how they can take their produce water and if... If it makes business sense, they can clean that water up to the point that you can actually use it to water crops that are for human consumption. That is incredible that you can actually do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the the uh, the technology exists. And uh, of course, you know, most people don't do that, but there's don't, no doubt the technology exists and there are markets for it. It's just it hasn't been fully realized yet because obviously the economics aren't always there to do that. Yeah. And so and I'm, and I'm guessing at this, so you, I may stick my foot in my mouth here, audience, but I'm guessing that a lot of the, the fields that y'all operate, the unconventionals here in the U.S., not offshore, but on land, they're, they're probably wanting to clean that water up to the right legal standard so they can reuse that water. Is that probably pretty or am I wrong? Completely off base. Well, no, absolutely. So I guess the key word there, the operative word is regulations. Regulations vary by state, at least in the United States, obviously. In general, most people do try to uh, treat it to a certain standard, and there's all kinds of drivers for that. But in general, yes, I would say that if the question is, do, you know, are, are the regulations and do the regula- you know, c- can we meet those regulations? Do price points attached to that regulation? Sure. So for example, you know, in the Permian, the price point to get to what they need to do with the water to reuse it, for example, would be much different than a place like Colorado, where the regulations are much more stringent. And so the Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you have to be right about that because each state has its, so you have the federal guidelines and then you have each state has its own. And if a certain certain state wants it clean to a different standard, of course, it's going to cost more. No, that's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. And so I, just, to, just for the audience, as a practical example, if you were to fly to Midland and just walk around as a layperson and say, oh, I wonder what this kind of world looks like, that world would look very different than if you flew to, let's say, Denver and went to the, you know, uh, the certain areas just outside of Denver, you know, in the what they call the DJ, DJ Basin area and the requirements and the regulations they have to follow. So for example, if you drop water. Uh, we did a recent project where uh, in Colorado, we had to catch the water, the condensate off the air conditioner Jeez. to prevent it. <laughs> and that's distilled water. That's as clean as you can it's, get it, right? It was basically clean water, yes. Yeah. But again, the context here is that it, it's the regulations, number one, the expectation to, and three, I think, depending on who you're working with and who you're dealing with, it was this particular customer had a very strong culture probably the best culture we've ever experienced in industry. And that culture just accepted excellence. And they were they were that specific about how, how strong they felt about their HSC program and what they felt was acceptable. Yeah. So audience, I hope you realize the subtleties there. So here's a company whose standards are so high that they collect the condensated water from the air conditioning, which everybody else, including you that's listening right now, either dumps it on the ground or puts it in the, in the sewers, right? This company is actually collecting that. That's how much detail they're paying attention to what how they touch the environment. I want to kind of circle around because I keep saying monarch. It's really monarch separators. So you separate what? 
So in its most basic form, whenever a energy company has a water, there's constituents in that water. The two primary constituents we look at, at as a general term are obviously hydrocarbons or oil and then solids. So if you think about, you know, let's not take an, a, a drilling platform. Let's just take a, a refinery or a plant. Within that plant, you know, there's processes and things happening. And they typically use water to clean things or water in the process. And, and water obviously picks up things from the air, picks, picks up things from the process. That ultimately has to be treated before it can be discharged. And it, it goes through our technology to do that so that they can meet the, the regulation to do so. Uh, conversely, in an unconventional play, you know, again, they're using maybe water as a ultimate, the ultimate use of that water is to create steam. To create steam, you obviously need to treat the water to a certain standard so that you don't basically create corrosion in your pipes and destroy your steam-making process. We are a part of that supply chain that treats the water to remove things like hydrocarbons or solids that could eventually become scale and then obviously damage very, very sensitive equipment downstream. Yeah, I'm curious. So when you remove the hydrocarbons, I'm, I'm thinking it has to be almost all oil, right? Are there gases involved too? Sure. Yeah. So three phases typically. Now, you know, in conventionals, you have gas, you have, you have obviously solids and you have other constituents in the water that we watch very closely. Uh, calcium, boron, magnesium, salts. So this, this water has various constituents from hydrocarbons to solids to things that you don't always see, uh, things that people in industry know, s- suspended solids, things that are suspended in state. And we have to try to remove those using various technologies. And then you sort of dissolved items that you don't see. You could look at the water and say, well, there's nothing in it. But actually, in the reality, there is. And so we have technologies to treat that as well. So that must be a mix of mechanical technologies and chemical technologies. Yeah, I, I, I always tell people it's, uh, it's sort of this, it's physics and it's chemistry at the end, end of the day. And, uh, you know, I always have uh, young people ask me, you know, what do I, you know, how do I get in this field and what can I do or what do you see as the ideal candidate? And I always say that, that uh, if you can think of the, at the top, top physics professor in the world and that person uh, met the top chemistry person in the world and they create a child, you know, that would be <laughs> an ideal candidate for what we do because really it is understanding the physics and what we do. Um, so if Daniel Kahneman had – you know, a child with Mary Curie, you know, that would be that child that was produced from that probably be the ultimate candidate for what we do, because you do have to understand, you know, the physics is very well known. The kit we build, the kit we, we you know, the, and the physics we use to understand how that kit operates and, and the science behind that is very important. And then the chemistry has become so important. And I would argue very strongly that most of the advancements you see in our industry from a water treatment point of view we understand the physics relatively well. And most of the sort of kit and the technology you see out there are, are sort of, you know, the physics are kind of set. So there's not going to be a whole lot of growth there. But on the chemistry side, there is so much opportunity. And that's, in my opinion, where the game is and understanding that. And, and that's what our company does very, very well. We, we blend those two worlds very well and we look at it very honestly. And, and we use that uh, to help our customers uh, perform, basically. So let me ask you, so does this mean that you're constantly, as a company, looking at new processes, new technologies, see if they would benefit what y'all are doing from a separation point of view? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you, you sort of have, it's interesting, the more people you talk to, the more you go out and kick the tires with, with your customers, especially in the Permian or in some of these other basins around the United States, people don't realize how, how water sounds so simple, but it's so complex. And it's complex because I think we, we take it for granted. And what's cool about the, the 
time frame that we're in in our industry is that there's this this great uh, I think we talked about it at lunch. The, the great, these great thought leaders, these people are coming to market and they bring their sort of water industry expertise. And then you've got sort of the oil and gas sort of experts and thought leaders coming together. And you have people from outside in Silicon Valley and from Austin and from all these great tech environments coming in to meet. And it's a unique opportunity for bringing all these different sort of ideas and concepts into our, into our uh, market and our industry and leveraging all those, all those different experiences, and what's being created is, I think, eventually what will be created is 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 sort of these technologies and these ways of of treating what we think is so simple. And and I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, these various people from various industries are coming together, and while water is so simple, they're they're able to help think about new ways of addressing. Very complex issues associated with water. Yeah, Kirk, I would swear that you listened to Oil and Gas this week. So we've been talking about this for a long time, that this perfect storm is happening. You're seeing we're in a long-term hydrocarbon abundant world, so prices are going to stay low. You're seeing the old workforce, you and I, have left the industry. This new younger workforce looks, learns, and thinks differently than our generation. You're having the cost of technology getting really cheap, right? And so young people, Silicon Valley, cheap technology, hydrocarbon abundant world, and I've never seen our industry change and adopt new technology, new process fast as it's doing now. And the nice thing is that it's good, right? So this is the HS&E show. What happens when you have more efficient water separation systems? You have less people involved. What happens when you have less people involved? You have less lost time incidents. You have everybody going home safe. What happens when you don't have uh, spills? The environment's better, right? So we're seeing an industry that is notoriously concerned about the environment and the health of its workers take that to a different level. And I think it's awesome. So the last labor statistics that were available is 2016. In 2016, in the U.S., it was actually safer to work in the oil and gas industry than it was to be a realtor. That's how far we've come in the industry. And I think That's it's fantastic. awesome. Now, I don't know what's going on in real estate. I don't know, you know, what's, what's yeah, I don't what's about. happening. Yeah. But just the fact that as an industry, we've brought it to the point. When I got started, you would measure a person's experience on the rig by how many fingers it was missing. We don't do that anymore. That's that's incredible. The thing I think is cool about what you're doing here is that you touch the industry everywhere. You touch the industry from a profitability point of view, from a production point of view, from an environmental impact point of view, from a potential risk as far as like fines and levies and that sort of stuff, or maybe even getting shut down. So you're really what y'all are doing is really vital to the industry. I'm going to ask you a future thinking question because you keep talking, bringing up the Permian. We just came back there, which by the way, HSE audience, we're launching a new podcast the permian perspective hopefully have it up by november so stay tuned that one's gonna be awesome do you think the industry on land in the u.s you think the operators will or are they starting to cooperate in managing water like are, are we get to the point where you can see operators pull in resources and build this huge water management system including separators so that they can all benefit from that technology or is it still i'm doing what i want to do this is my company well you're asking a uh, that's a that that's always an interesting. It's a very interesting question for sure. I think philosophically, the short answer is yes. The oil and gas industry is is no longer able to not pay attention to water. It is such. It is front page. Yes, and it is. It is, and I think with things like podcasts and with the technology we have nowadays, you know, news used to travel much slower. Uh, now there's just so much available information, and and it's all gone all the way up to the shareholders. 
uh, shareholders are now starting to ask questions about this. And I think you, if you look at the latest headlines in the Wall Street Journal or any of the sort of you know energy-related publications and even your own podcast, you'll hear this refrain that water is here, it's not going away, and it's only become exponentially more and more, 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 and more of a challenge. You do have currently an influx of capital that is interested in uh, addressing and f- providing solutions to those water challenges. And so, uh, again, the short answer is yes and yes and yes. It is funny about the money. I have never seen so much investor money sitting on the sidelines in this industry. It is it is insane. And that all that money is going to be spent somewhere that drives business results so those investors can get a return on their investment. I just don't know where it's going to go yet. Yeah, none of us do. You know, from our our company perspective, you know, we are we're fortunate in that we are focused, uh, laser focused on you know the water treatment side of it. But there's so many other avenues that the capital is is focused on as well. The infrastructure. You've probably done many podcasts where people have touched on this. You know, the infrastructure in Permian alone. You just got back. I'm sure you saw. I'm sure people who were in the Permian ten years ago, you know, or let's go back to even further the Friday Night Light you know, days where it was football mainly and and the old Permian that did very well in conventional oil. It's a completely different environment. Most people probably don't even recognize the Permian anymore. And you probably won't 10 years and 20 years. They may even have their soon their own. It may be a city that with a major downtown at some point. I don't know, but there's no doubt it's going to be, it's going to change, continue to change. Yeah. You're talking about infrastructure. And I, I, we drove there on purpose because I haven't been there in 10 years and I have never seen so many large earth moving machines because everybody's building pipelines. Mm -hmm. They're either building pipelines to get hydrocarbons to the Gulf or to handle produced water or handle fresh water. And it was just acres and acres and acres of huge excavating machines moving dirt as quick as you humanly can because it's a race, right? So I kind of want to circle around since we're talking about permanent and water separation. I understand the concept of what y'all do, but if I'm a if I'm an operator and I want to investigate another company or a different way of doing separation with my water, how do y'all typically engage with them? Because I know you just don't go sell them a box, right? I'm sure there has to be a, a bunch of uh, working together up front to figure out what they need and, and how that would look. And I'm sure each one of those solutions are different. Yeah. So, you know, obviously one way to look at is we, we see different customer segments. So obviously you have the major oil companies who have unconventionals and they are obviously using water from various sources. They're either using fresh water to use in their fracking operation they're using some sort of brackish water as part of their operation, or they're using their produced water. And so, you know, the first thing, you know, we're pretty strategic in how we go about and who we go about working with, because if you go out in the permit, you can swing a stick and talk to someone who thinks that they can treat water or, yep. or that treat water. And obviously, we're not all the same. You know, we, we really focus on, as I said before, those areas, those customers and the customer segments that are either A, have a challenging uh, water that conventional technologies just can't treat, and so they need a higher degree of, of treatment to get to their ultimate objective goal. Because again, one of our challenges we have in our industry is that even on the water use side, there's not set regulations. So you can talk to customer A, and he has a certain water quality that he wants, and we could talk to customer B, and it'd be completely different. And so unlike some industries where you kind of know what the target is, our targets change by customer. And because those, those targets change, it makes it, you know, certain customers can, can deal with very bad water and they're okay with doing that. And they have a very short-term sort of time horizon on, on what they're trying to do with their business model. And others have much longer term. 
So if you think about injecting water in a hole to produce, you know, to get more oil out the the other end, some customers, you know, have very good properties and formations that can handle a higher degree of, let's call it dirty water. And the formulations they come up with to do that allow allow for that. And there's a lot of science and a lot of things I won't get too too deep into. I'm sure there's people in the audience that understand what I'm referring to if I went there. But for to keep things very simple, there's that customer segment. That's not really who is a typical customer of ours, although we're happy to speak with them and, and lead them in the right direction. This is you know, We're very collaborative as a company. But there are others that are uh, sort of do look at the science, that do understand the both short and, more importantly, long-term implications of pumping water down down their hole and, and, and what happens to their formation as a result of that. And we try and give them the best top technology and the, the, the best economic solution, as well as the envi- environmental solution and all the other things that go into that to, uh, to achieve their, their results. Yeah, it's funny about reservoir engineers. They are super picky about what you put in their reservoir. I mean, like, it's almost like a cult because if, if you do the wrong thing, you can ruin the reservoir. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, they're key, uh, the key part of the decision-making process that we go through for sure. Yeah. So we're getting kind of close to starting to wind down the show. This is a point where we do the Red Wing safety tip of the week. So Julie, Kirk, you have a Red Wing safety tip for us? Julie's taking her head no. You got one, Kirk? I think I do. Yeah. So, you know, we have a, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about onshore, but offshore as well. I can tell you, spending an early part of my career doing a lot of, a lot of offshore, uh, you use a lot of microwaves. And I did not know, and I didn't know this until I saw it happen to somebody, but uh there's something called, I believe it's called superheating, uh, but the gentleman basically was, back then we had instant coffee, I don't know if people, Keurigs now are the big thing, but back in the day he used to have something called instant coffee, and the man warmed up his, his brand new coffee cup, you know, company coffee cup and with water, and he, uh, he you know, got to a decent point, pulled it out, it wasn't boiling, and he put his little packet in there, and it jumped out and burned his face right in front of me, and... This was obviously, you know, probably, I don't know, early 2000s and maybe maybe late 90s. And, you know, the, it just wasn't very well known. So, you know, my safety tip is uh, obviously you never know where there are hazards. But uh, next time you decide to uh, microwave some water at high temperature and it's not boiling, don't think that... Uh, that it, it couldn't be a safety incident because uh, it could be. Yeah, what a great tip. I, I'm guilty of this myself. So we talk about this at lunch. I love to cook. I do all the cooking, grocery shopping. And I'm 53 years old. I've been cooking since I've probably been five years old. So i got 40-some-odd years of cooking. Even today, I will sometimes go, I wonder if that's hot and touch it. That's not very bright. No. Yeah, you don't need to be doing Well, that you know, something similar happens with grilling, too, in, in cooking. If you like cooking, is that you know a lot of people use lighter fluid, and they throw it on there, and they close the lid, and next thing they open it, and this huge Insane. flame pops yep. out. and I'm sure there's some science that's above my pay grade that deals with that, but it's it's also a very dangerous thing. So, you know, not only don't do that, but keep a fire extinguisher nearby yeah. anytime you're grilling, for sure. Think twice about when you do stuff. It's usually the simple stuff that gets people hurt. All right, so I kind of want to roll back to the water separation part. We talked about perm. We talked about offshore. We didn't touch much on offshore, but I, I bet that's a totally different beast, right? So you have to have everything on the rig. You have to package up, bring it out there. It has to run. And if you need maintenance, it's not like a guy can just drive a truck over there. No, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, we grew up as a company in the offshore market. Obviously, that market has drastically changed. And there's a slight resurgence coming back. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you can imagine being on land is, uh, has its costs and its and its advantages and disadvantages. But offshore is a whole new world. It really is. You know, you're, you're, you're in... You're in the middle of the ocean. Uh, you have a, a lot less flexibility on space. Space is always critical. And as they get in the deeper water, even more so. Uh, the technology is amazing. It is amazing. And uh, I, I can tell you, you know, 
the neat thing about offshore and, and its and its heritage is that a lot of the lessons learned, a lot of the things that uh, you know we we benefit now came from offshore, and a lot of those early pioneers, as well as men and women today, are still out there in that market really are have added a lot of tremendous value to onshore as well. Yeah, they're definitely pioneers. Do you know what Hewitt training is? I do. I had to go through it as a matter of fact. Okay. Yes. So I am taking the entire OGGN gang in November and we're all going through Hewitt training. Oh. We're going to have videos, we're going to have podcasts, but I, we're going to be the only podcast network on the planet that is Hewitt certified. Very cool. Yep. We're doing that. We're doing advanced firefighting as well. And then we'll do that in February. So the OGGN gang puts together great informative podcasts. We love y'all to death. We go to all these conferences and events. We have a happy hours. But if something hits the fan, we're going to be ready. So it's about time to start winding things down. If people wanted to find out more about you, I'm guessing LinkedIn? LinkedIn would be best, yes. And then if people want to find out more about Monarch Separators, I, uh, your website is? It's www.monarchseparators.com. Preferably, they go to www.waterstandard.com, and they can find us there as well. Yeah, we'll put links in the show notes so people don't have to write in. Julie. Yes. You're going to be blowing this up on social media, right? I am. Yeah, Pictures, so we'll, everything. Yeah. So we'll put some of the links to your social posts and we'll put that out in our social as well to see if we can help spread the word around this. Kirk, Julie, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much. It's what you're doing is important and it's always fascinating to learn. Like I had no idea that you, your dad started this. I mean, it's always fascinating to learn to see behind the curtain. One of my favorite things about our industry as a whole, and Kirk, you and I were talking about this, is this is still an industry of people doing business with people. Yeah, and, and I love that. So I just appreciate both y'all coming on the show. Thank you. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond Alright Kirk, what's the craziest thing you've seen in the field? You know, it recently happened. We had a, and maybe I didn't personally see this, but I did witness it on on my team saying as a video, but we were at a a unconventional job site and our team actually heard this interesting buzzing noise and decided to go outside to see and investigate what it was. And lo and behold, there were a multitude of drones flying over our job site and they weren't sure if this was an alien invasion or, or kids playing a prank or the, you know, who knows what it was. And to this day, we still aren't sure what it was, but make note, the technology exists to watch you at any point in time. And whoever that was, it was an interesting experience for us, for sure. I'd never seen that before. And, you know, I, the possibility I've known is there, but the fact that y'all actually saw it, where have we got an industry where you walk outside and it's drones flying over? And, And I know we're using them for the good, but you know, that that's just credit to the advances in technology that we're doing. It was definitely something special and uh, one for our company. We talk a lot, a lot. Yeah.